Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League. Clean off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers. Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area. World-beating, big-match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scores! Women's Football Weekly with Faker Carruthers on TalkSport 2. Welcome to a very special edition of Women's Football Weekly on International Women's Day. We have two hours of women's football conversation coming up with fantastic guests from across the women's game joining us. First, though, let's have a look at the headlines. Chelsea cap off a brilliant week with a commanding victory over West Ham. England peels away. Able to get a decent cross in for Kerr. It's Chelsea who lead inside seven minutes. Manchester City wait patiently to get all three points against Everton. Kira Walsh! It's got it! a smashing goal! Plus, in a special second hour of the show, we'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities facing the women's game. We sort of had brands who were really interested in collaborating, but it was only for that month. And we were thinking, well, actually, Women's football isn't a fad. We're not going to be here for a month and then disappear. We've got a packed lineup for you, including Arsenal and Scotland defender Jem Beattie, Brighton manager and former England head coach Hope Powell, Brighton CEO Paul Barber, Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman Kirk, and Manchester City midfielder and World Cup winner Sam Mewis. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women, and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport 2. Hello, team. Happy Monday. How are you all doing? Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Should be a really awesome show, fingers crossed, that we have in store for you today. So much to talk about. We're going to be covering the Barclays FAWSL and Championship as usual, but a little bit different this week because we're here for two hours till 8 o'clock tonight and we're going to be looking at the wider game, the future of grassroots women's football, the fans at the forefront of growing the sport and the technology as well that's transforming women's football. First of all though, I've got two cracking guests to open us up. Delighted to have Arsenal and Scotland's Jen Beattie with us making her Women's Football Weekly debut. How are you doing Jen? 
I'm good, doing, I'm doing well, thanks, Faye. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Um, yeah. Almost part of the furniture as well. Molly Hudson from The Times. Not with us for long, though, Molly, are you? Monday night game. Busy, busy night, isn't it? International Women's Day. Um, lovely, lovely to speak to you on International Women's Day. Yes, yes, and you. Although every day is International Women's Day for us, as far as we're concerned. And listen, before we catch up on all the news from the week, you know, this is a day which gives us time to challenge inequality, call out bias, question stereotypes and address all forms of gender inequality as well as celebrating the achievements, the bravery and all-round awesomeness of amazing women around the world. Now, as I said, we do that all the time here on Women's Football Weekly, so this is just a normal day for us. Uh, But we're also very grateful and privileged uh, to be given two hours uh, to talk about the things that that we love to talk about here on Women's Football Weekly and have a little bit of space and time to be able to do it as well. And I'm really privileged to have uh, Jen Beattie with us to discuss what's been a really really tough six months for her after she was diagnosed with breast cancer back in October. I mean, Jen, we've, we've not spoken to you since. You, you've had a few chats. You've obviously been going through through treatment. First and foremost, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good, actually. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, no, like you said, it has been a really, really tricky few months um, for me personally, as obviously everyone's going through different stuff right now. But yeah, no, I, I finished treatment just before Christmas, actually. So that was um, a nice sort of way to sort of see the end of that year and just kind of almost put it behind me. But um, yeah, I was very glad to sort of get treatment done and sort of start fresh coming into 2021 and, and just get back to football, to be honest. That's obviously my first job. So it's been amazing being able to train and play as much as I can throughout treatment, but also just getting back to football, really. I mean, training through treatment is pretty impressive in itself. But, you know, did it feel like a little bit of an outlet for you, a bit of normality? Oh, 100%. I can, um, you know, at the start of radiotherapy, when they they actually offered me exercise classes. So when I kind of turned around and said, look, I, I play I play football as my job. <laughs> um, they kind of said, right, OK, you, you might you might be fine. But no, totally. I, I think from a, a physical perspective, it definitely helped the fatigue side of stuff ironically um but uh, even more so from a mental perspective just being able to go into football and switch off from from health health things for a couple of hours every day was it was a huge outlet for me and you know thankfully the club and the girls were so supportive as well so I felt in a in a really really safe place. Mm. Molly? Hi Jen um I just wanted to ask you a little bit about um I guess the decision to to come out and and tell everyone that you you had received that diagnosis because I lost my mum to cancer last year and I think it was just a a really powerful thing to do. It must have been quite scary knowing that you were playing and still sort of being involved in the game while you were revealing something so so personal, I suppose. Gosh, Molly, I'm I'm really, really sorry to hear that about your mum. But yeah, for me, um, I have friends that, that work in the NHS and kind of just like to be honest really early on in my diagnosis there was no way I was ready to speak out about it for me it was it was a huge hugely emotional time and I was I was up and down like a yo-yo you know I I wasn't necessarily ready to but when I kind of I guess got through the really hard stages because it was very much a learning process for me there were so many tests and things I had to go through to kind of get through the initial stage but for me um 
like I said, I have friends that worked in the NHS and they said that because of COVID and, and all these things surrounding that, there was there was so much anxiety for people going in to get checked that the actual number of cancers being diagnosed had gone down hugely last year. So that for me was kind of like, okay, I knew I had to sort of use the, the platform that we all have in, in this women's football world and, and speak out and just kind of, I think, I think, to emphasize this, it it was never really about me. It was yes, I, I was sharing my experience, but the whole point was to, to help other people and and to make sure that you know you can go in and get things checked and share my experience that hospitals were completely safe. You know, everyone was following regulations and that it, it was okay to do so. So that was definitely the the changing point for me. From how supportive the whole football community have, have been with you naturally, it was it was really lovely to sort of scroll on Twitter and and see people saying that maybe they'd gone and got checked out because of, of your story and you sort of saying it publicly. I suppose that, that must have been a, another positive for you to know that people had maybe heard your story and, and then gone and, and got themselves checked. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, on when the interview did come out, I think it was December 12th, I think, if I remember correctly, the, the amount of support that people showed within women's football and without you know outside of women's football as well was just honestly incredible it was overwhelming to say the least but the 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 main messages I got you know from people for days after weeks after saying you know what well, I've, I've booked a GP appointment I'm off to go and get something checked I've been sitting on a few symptoms and haven't quite had the courage to do so that to me meant absolutely everything so that was the whole point of doing it and um you know fingers crossed everyone was was fine and stuff but to get those messages to say that I'd kind of attempted to be a little bit impactful and it had kind of, you know, gone in the right direction. I was, yeah, I was, it was, it was a bittersweet moment, obviously in so many ways, but to get those messages was, was what definitely meant the most. Because that's what is key, Jen, isn't it? Is, is awareness a lot of the time and many people just aren't aware until somebody in the public eye, like yourself, is going through it, and then they start to open up and and think, oh, actually, maybe I do need to to, to check on this because we all think we're immune, don't we? We we can all just go about our daily lives thinking it doesn't touch us, but it doesn't matter who you are; it's completely indiscriminate. This disgusting disease, um, and it and it reaches unfortunately far too many people and I know with the awareness that uh, you've been raising you've been working with Scottish Power as well who are doing some incredible work I mean I can't believe they've raised 30 million pounds for Cancer Research UK which is just incredible. Absolutely I, th- I think they teamed up with Cancer Research in 2012 so to do that in you know such a short space of time and especially last year, you know, when they couldn't hold all the sort of normal events that they were used to, to hit that milestone is just incredible. And, you know, the, the what that will go towards in terms of research is, you know, we're, we're just trying to find a cure. And, and the level of treatment that I received, knowing that how much that had come on over the years, knowing that that can still improve is just, you know, that's why companies like Scottish Power are doing such an amazing thing that that's what you know, we're trying to make people's lives better. Yeah, it's and it's a collective, isn't it? My producer Flo has just reminded me, actually, and I, I, I remember her telling me this at the time, um, when you came out and told everyone what you were going through, she actually went and, and got a lump checked and it came back all fine. She's A-OK, 
gives a thumbs up across the screen at the moment but says a massive thank you because that's that's so crucial getting these kind of early diagnoses and and you know the kind of stuff that cancer research are able to do they've kind of been at the real heart of of progress that's already seen survival in the UK double in the last 40 years because of the work they're doing which is amazing totally i think you know on one hand yes go and get checked and you might be absolutely fine but the key for early diagnosis the difference in that is is just huge and and like you say i think it's two in four people survive the cancer now like for a very very long time and those numbers just you know they they'll get better and better over time and it and it's crazy amounts of money like 30 million that will will help that cause and it's yeah i can only speak from my experience that the level of treatment i received from down here in london was just incredible and i was like medics are just incredible people you know emotionally and scientifically with what they know now and what they can do and with scottish power coming on board and, and raising awareness and doing all these amazing things it's you know hopefully we'll just get better and better yeah fingers crossed for sure and, and i'm so glad you're feeling better and and uh thank you again for, from everybody listening on women's football weekly for, for sharing your story because it is so important that that people realize uh, what they can do and, and what's going on behind the scenes for people and you know life is not as easy as it might think you might think it's glamorous playing football being on the radio whatever but everybody's got something going on behind the scenes and it's incredible that you've decided to to come out and tell everybody to try and help people so thank you for that Jen um, right coming up we're going to be a bit of a gear change I'm afraid but probably a good thing uh, we're going to be discussing yesterday's action in the WSL and of course talking to Jen about Arsenal's win on DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 the home for women's football This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football with Faker Rothers, Arsenal and Scotland's Jen Beattie and Molly Hudson from The Times. Don't forget, if you do miss any of our shows or you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app. So download it today and go to our podcast section. And don't forget, we are here until 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, it's a two-hour International Women's Day special. Uh, right, it was a packed Barclays FAWSL schedule this weekend, including Jen Beattie's Arsenal against Birmingham. And here's how it sounds. England peels away. Let's get a decent cross in for Kerr. It's Chelsea who lead inside seven minutes. A powerful header from Sam Kerr. Harris inside the 18-yard box. Lays it out to the left-hand side. A chip into the 18-yard box. Sam gets ahead to it. And the captain makes it 3-0. Cross in from the right-hand side. Down the head of Katie Zellum. Miedemar. Miedemar making room. Miedemar! Well, you knew she was going to score at some point. Missed a few chances in the first half. Hit the post. But Vivian Miedemar finally scores her first goal against Birmingham City. Drops to Kagman on the half body. Sweet finish by the Dutch woman. And into the back of the net. Brighton take the lead. A really smart strike by Inessa Kagman. Near as soon as it had left her foot, it was destined for the back of the net. 
Love a bit of Fleur East. Producer Flo coming out with all the tunes on a Monday night. Wonderful stuff. Uh, right, let's start with the early kickoff, shall we? I have Arsenal's Jen Beattie and Molly Hudson from The Times with me on Women's Football Weekly. Manchester United 3, Aston Villa nil. And Casey Stoney's injury-depleted side showed exactly why they're in the driving seat for that last Champions League spot at the moment. I'm sure Jen will have something to say about that with a controlling win over Aston Villa. Uh, goals from Hansen, Sigsworth and Katie Zellum. Um, Lucy Staniforth as well, outstanding for, for United. She got an assist. She's obviously been out for a lot of this th- season through injury and it leaves Manchester United six points now behind Chelsea. It was quite a dominant performance wasn't it Jen? No it was and you know we're, we're talking about Champions League here and hopefully you know we'll be able to to tip that third place spot but yeah no to have the performance they did missing the sort of key players is, is a testament to, to them as a squad and, and what Casey Stoney is doing. Yeah you've got a game in hand over them but six points outside um, the, the top three at the moment but I mean we've seen what Manchester City have done this season after being way off the pace early doors do you feel like you can catch that up? Yeah no 100% I think we have to just that's our focus right now and that is honestly what everybody is talking about everyone's talking about Champions League and what it means to us as a club and, and players and how we're all desperate to be back into it but you know, it's the old cliche, we have to just take it one game at a time. and But that is, it's just going to be a race to the end of the season. And, you know, I really do think that that game against each other, against United, will be will be a big fixture of this season. But yeah, look, I think a lot of us would probably say that we haven't performed well enough against the top teams. And, you know, even that United away fixture for us, you know, we were so below par. So but we've got the rest of the season to put it right, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for you for, for that. Molly, uh, United just continuing to be to be dominant, aren't they? By the way, um, that uh, match is on f- Friday, the 19th of March, a 6.30 kickoff, uh, but it's at home um, after United beat Arsenal 1-0 back in November. Um, Molly Hudson, Manchester United at the moment, they're just just doing it consistently, I think would be the best thing to say. Yeah, and I think maybe what is the most impressive is the fact that, as you mentioned, they have been hit by injuries. I think a few of us were laughing. It's sort of like Arsenal have seemed to be just about getting through the the injury curse um, and now it's moved on to Manchester United. And I think, you know, you look at that Aston Villa game and obviously Marcus Bignall's come in there and have, have sort of shored them up. They're a lot more of a defensive side now, maybe a little bit harder to beat. And I think it was it was really impressive to see, particularly the two first half goals, to give them that confidence. Uh, so important to get an early-ish goal against Aston Villa, um, and I think that's what's been impressive. Uh, sort of all of the the top four this weekend, kind of played well, got the wins, and it's just it feels like we're just sort of building up and building up to the Manchester United Arsenal game, and also the City Chelsea game that may well decide the, the title now as well. Mm. So, it just makes it so much more exciting, doesn't it, this season that there are three Champions League places and four teams uh, vying for that. For so, for such a long time, we just had two Champions League places and just the three teams. But actually, you know, you could argue uh, Everton, although they, they, they've they slipped away a little bit, you know, in in any normal season, had they not been hit by so many uh, bad injuries around Christmas time, we could have had five five teams pushing for that top three space, which is, which is fantastic. 
fantastic. Um, Arsenal, though, did score four against Birmingham City, so one more than uh, Manchester United managed. Um, it was another Birmingham game that moved to St George's Park, though. Carla Ward almost writing off this result uh, for Birmingham, another heavy defeat to one of the big sides. Uh, but she says she's looking ahead to games like Everton, um, Bristol City, for example, as, as the real priority. Uh, Joe Montemuro, though, said he finally uh, found the long-awaited rhythm that had been lost in the last few weeks. Do, do you feel as if that's the case, Jen? I mean, yeah, I would say so. I think I think momentum is huge, especially in these leagues right now. But, you know, it's a, it's a testament to the, to the league and the teams and, and how competitive it actually is. I mean, you said yourself there's obviously three Champions League spots, but four or five teams can be aiming for that. And you, you couldn't have said that a few seasons ago. So... You know, it, every game is just as big as each other, and that's a testament again to the clubs and how much everyone's improved. And but no, I I think I would agree with Joe a hundred percent. Momentum is huge in football, and you know to get that good feeling around the squad. I think we went from losing City and Chelsea back to back, and that is something that we're not necessarily used to as players or as a club. So to get back to sort of winning ways is just it's great for the dressing room for the feel of the club and just to continue that for the rest of the season is what the aim is yeah I, I mean it's, it's been a strange season for, for everyone hasn't it but 28 shots uh, Vivian Miedemar as well this this amused me I hadn't realised she'd never scored against Birmingham City before <laughs> she ended the curse as well two goals from Caitlin Ford a goal from Lisa Evans as well and, and you were just really dominant in this it, it felt as if this was the arsenal of old Molly yeah, it it was it was difficult for for Birmingham when we were speaking to to Carla Ward after the game. She was sort of like, "God, I've played the last two games against Manchester City and Arsenal on a, a pitch that's basically as wide as Wembley. <laughs> couldn't couldn't have had had sort of worse opponents." Um, yeah, I think definitely sort of agree with what Joe and Jen have said. Really, the the rhythm feels feels so important for Arsenal, and it. It's a bit of a shame that when we're speaking to Joe after the game, he's sort of suggested that maybe they wouldn't be able to get the West Ham game played. That obviously was postponed earlier in the season. Uh, would like to get that played before United just to get another game in the bag, more minutes, more sort of match fitness because there's been a, a few players that have come back from injuries. Um, but it seems as though now maybe they won't be able to fit that in. Um, I think it's down to the FA to make that decision. So if, if you're looking at sort of 12 days without a fixture... It's a bit of a shame because obviously the, that rhythm and that momentum is really building up to give Arsenal the best chance, I suppose, of, of coming from behind. It, six get six points behind feels a long way, but when you think they've got to play United and they've had so many games postponed, it, you know, it, it really is a, a close fight. I think it could go either way. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, at the moment? Um, just before, because I know Jen's got to leave us at, at half past six, so I just want to have a quick chat about the news uh, that broke this week that the FA has confirmed the FA Cup will return on the 31st of March. That's really important, Molly, isn't it? Yeah, hugely important. I think it—it it, it sort of there was so much uncertainty, wasn't there? Because so much of the the lower league teams are, were reliant on the kind of general situation with the pandemic in society. So it, it's really good to see that there are at least dates now. There's dates in the calendar, and just you just have to hope that it's not too much of a difficulty for those teams that haven't been training and playing to kind of get themselves ready for this game, these games, because, you know, when, when you think of the, the difficulties in having a, a sort of giant killing cup run in women's football anyway, when there's quite big gaps within divisions, 
this season it's going to be even harder because you, you look at the amount of, of time they've actually had where they haven't even been able to train as a team. So can only can only hope that all of those those players have stayed, you know, safe and well and fit and healthy and, and are able to really enjoy this cup run. Yeah, Arsenal fourteen time winners of this title, Jen. How pleased are you that the competition's able to, to return? Yeah, hugely. I mean, you know, who doesn't love playing in the FA Cup? It's it's one of the most exciting tournaments of the season. So to see it be confirmed, I think, was great to see. And I guess it just it just adds another fixture to our diaries, which is is, is always a great thing. So but I think like what Molly said, I think you just want it to be a fair a fair tournament. So um, you know, looking forward to having uh, some extra games and you know, it's, it's it's another opportunity to win a trophy and I think that's what everyone would want at the end of the day. Certainly. And uh, listen, good luck for the rest of the season as well. Hopefully we'll catch up with you again before it all ends. But it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, well done on your debut for Women's Football Weekly. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back. Loved it. Thanks very much for having me, Faye. Appreciate Brilliant. It. Take care. See you, Jen. Thank you. OK, me and Molly Hudson uh, with you next. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. We're going to be chatting next to Brighton Chief Executive and Women in Football Board member Paul Barber. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. The home for women's football. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers and keeping you company with me is Molly Hudson from The Times. Now then, we want to talk about amazing things going on in the women's game and who better to talk to about that than Paul Barber, Chief Executive of Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, talking about being a leading force in, in women's football for sure with amazing things going on at the training ground and, and always so much support for the women's team. Evening, Paul. How are you doing? I'm very good, Faye. How are you? I'm very good. I just want to apologise for the confusion over the times. Completely my fault. Not used to having a two-hour show. <laughs> so I appreciate you being incredibly flexible as always and coming on to chat with us. No problem at all. So, I mean, ma- many people don't really know exactly what goes beyond, be- on behind the scenes at a football club. And uh, what Brighton have been doing over the years showing such a big commitment to, to women's football, investing in facilities, having both the men's and women's teams training on the same site. Um, it's so important to, to let people know how that came about and why exactly you wanted to invest in the women's game. Well, first of all, I think it's very important that we recognise that there's a, a huge number of, of women and girls that love football just as much as men and boys. And we wanted to make sure that women and girls had the same opportunity to uh, be part of our club uh, as men and boys. So I think that was the, the first uh, point. The second point, we already had a women's team uh, playing in, in the lower levels, um, or, albeit not particularly uh, supported in terms of facilities or infrastructure or budget. And we wanted to change that and to try and create a, a level playing field for our women and girls uh, football setup as as much as the men and the boys, even though it's a long-term investment. We know that at the moment the revenues in the women's game are nowhere near as high as the men's game, but but we're in this for the long term. And we felt it was important to make sure that to give our women and girls teams the best chance of success that we provided them with the best possible facilities. So we're in the process now of building a women and girls facility at our, our training ground where we'll integrate all of our professional football on one site. Um, it will give them access to their own dining room, their own gym, 
changing facilities and all of the uh, things that go into preparing a top-level team to play and uh, recover from matches. Um, and, of course, we're now competing in the Women's Super League and women are progressing every, every season that we're at, playing at that level and getting better and better in terms of our competitiveness. But we're up against... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Very stiff competition, as you know. Molly? Sorry, there's a bit of a delay on the line, Paul. Bear with us. Um, I'll jump in because I don't think Molly's there. Um, I I know that the ambition initially was to be a top four club within the FAWSL. You talk about the competition and what other clubs are doing. There seems to be so much money being thrown around, particularly by the bigger clubs at the minute. How how are you going to go about achieving that over the next few years? And is there a timeline? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a long-term ambition. Um, and, you know, long-term ambitions, by definition, um, mean that you have to build over a long period. You have to invest. In our, in our model, you have to invest in facilities and infrastructure and, and people. We've got one of the top women's coaches in the world in Hope Power, former England head coach, who is, is steering our, our team through the, the development stages that they're going through. And you also have to sort of take a view in, in terms of the future of how you're going to fund the women's game. In our case, we're putting as much money into youth development uh, for the girls as, as we would for the boys. Again, looking to develop our own players so that we can compete with the, the clubs that have much bigger budgets, the Manchester Cities, the Chelsea, the Arsenals of this world. Um, and hopefully by a combination of good recruitment at a senior level, uh, development of our own talent, hiring the best coaches we can, putting the women's team and the girls' teams into the best facilities, we will get a return on that over time. But it is a long-term thing. It's not something that we expect to happen over the next season or two. Although we're making good progress and we've had good results in recent weeks, um, we see it very much as a long-term uh, objective, just as much as it is with our men's team. You know, We've come a long way as a, as a football club in, in the last 10 years. We know that we've got a hell of a lot longer way to go 
to compete in the Premier League for men, and the same is true for women as well. But all the right steps being taken, which is which is the crucial part of it. I think Molly's back with us. Molly, you had a question. Hi, Paul. I know you were saying um, when we spoke to you, I think uh, earlier on in the summer or maybe even first lockdown about the fact that the, the women's hub was something that you were really excited to get involved with, but it, obviously construction had been had been paused because of, of the pandemic. I just wondered how that had impacted um, the, the plans for the club, but also how important it is for Brighton to continue that development and, and to be a, a leading sort of team in, in the women's game despite the, the pandemic is it, something that's really important to Brighton. It is, yeah. I mean, the pandemic has obviously cost us a huge amount of money like it has every other football club and many other businesses up and down the country. But we felt that it was important to keep our long-term plans on track. And and a big part of that is is the women and girls facility. Uh, So as soon as the government allowed uh, construction to to start up again, um, which was soon after the first lockdown, in fairness, we were able to get our uh, contractors back on site, continue the work, um, obviously complying with all the various COVID protocols that you'd expect. But one of the advantages of this being a, a separate building was it was it's, it's away from the main uh, men's first team building and the, and the academy buildings. So we were able to get on with the work, you know, pretty much uninterrupted. And uh, it, it has allowed us to keep the project on track and we should be opening on time uh, during this coming summer, which we're obviously very excited about. That's brilliant stuff. And, and the Amex as well, hosting three matches in the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 Championship as well is going to be great for you. Really good. And, you know, I think you know, our commitment to women and girls football, as I said, first and foremost, is about the sport and making sure there's an equal opportunity for um, both sexes to take part in football at every level within our club. And the second part of it, of course, is, is for the community and, and the opportunity to create an aspirational pathway for young girls to come into the game and hopefully by staging matches in the Euros we'll be inspiring young girls to want to watch football get involved in football play football perhaps even at some stage in the future working football which is an important part of uh, our commitment as well Um, and so we're doing as much as we can to promote the development of of women within our club in the administrative side of the game as well as the sporting side and staging matches in major tournaments is, is, is aspirational it's something that People can look forward to whether they're Brighton fans or not. They come to experience our stadium and the way we do things. And then hopefully, you know, not only can we inspire a new generation of female players, but we can also inspire a new generation of fans for our club as well. It's so crucial. That accessibility and that visibility is, is absolutely massive. Um, just kind of wrapping into that and, and, and final question for you, Paul, because you joined the board of women in football last year and Brighton have become the first corporate member of the organisation as well. And bearing everything you've said in mind, I, I presume that importance of working alongside them is to increase the number of women working in the industry as a whole and just showing that that that, that path is there. Yeah, very much so. I think it, it's really important uh, for women working in the game that, that, that they understand that there are no glass ceilings as far as we're concerned, that there's absolutely no reason whatsoever uh, that women can't achieve their full potential working in what has been traditionally a male-dominated sport. It's changing rapidly, and, and rightly so. Um, and so joining uh, Women in Football as a corporate member has given us an opportunity and a, and a framework for uh, the women that work in our club to, first of all, network with other women, also working in football, not just in this country, but overseas, 
benefit from the various uh, training programs that, that women in football offer and could support our club in delivering uh, and just generally um, open people's eyes to the fact that actually there is a, a growing acceptance that women in football can progress to very, very high levels. Just as you see up and down the Premier League now, there are a number of very, very talented and knowledgeable women running Premier League clubs. There's absolutely no reason why any girl who, who, who wants to start uh, becoming involved in football and ultimately work in football can't achieve the same as the likes of Karen at uh, Brady at West Ham and Susan William at Leicester and Dees Barrett-Baxendale at Everton. You know, these women are inspirational. Um, and Women in Football's uh, chairman, Ebru Kogsu, was, was, was also a chief executive of a, a major club um, in European football as well. So there are lots of good role models out there. And I think a combination of, of setting the right example from a sporting point of view, but also uh, making sure there's a, an appropriate framework for women to progress in the game from an administrative point of view, uh, gives us the best chance of, of growing the game of women's football as a whole. Absolutely. And what a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Faye. No problem at all. Take care. Paul Barber there, uh, Chief Executive of Brighton and Hove Albion, doing wonderful stuff behind the scenes that we don't get to talk about and celebrate very often here on Women's Football Weekly. And it's uh, a delight to be able to let you know exactly the good work that's going on uh, there. And by the way, we will be speaking to Brighton manager Hope Powell coming up from seven o'clock with us for a whole hour talking about all things Brighton, all things um, England, Team GB as well, all sorts of things. And speaking about Team GB, bearing in mind Hope Powell took uh, Team GB to the Olympics back in 2012, Molly Hudson. 11am on Wednesday is the time that we're finally going to hear who will lead Team GB at the Tokyo Olympics. Do we have any steer on who it might be? Yes, I think it's quite likely, um, well, understand that it, it will be, um, Hegarisa. And I think a lot of that discussion has been held quite closely with the players following the February camp that obviously Heger led um, and Baroness Sue Campbell, who's obviously the FA head of women's football, was quite open in the fact that it would be really open dialogue with the players after that camp, how they found it. And certainly from what, when we've spoken to the players, they were, gave sort of glowing reports of, of the whole camp. Obviously, the, the game went really well as well, beating Northern Ireland. So it, it, it feels like that camp was just really positive and it felt like that was the, the right way forward for, for the Team GB tournament, which is obviously rapidly approaching now. Yeah, that's really interesting because obviously we spoke to, to Hegarisa um, during that camp and it, it very much seemed when we spoke to the players after after that win over Northern Ireland that um, that they were really happy with, with how the camp had gone and, and, and clearly bearing in mind a lot of these players are experienced England internationals, many of them will be going out to the Olympics, you know, it's their opinion is crucial really. Yeah, and I think particularly when, when you have players that are so experienced in that squad now, you know, the likes of Steph Wharton, Jill Scott, Lucy Bronze, you know, they're they're real leaders and and they'll be sort of quite clear on, on how the, the camp has gone and it, it just felt a really good, positive environment. Um, as I say, certainly from, from what we experienced as media and, and on the pitch, it, it seemed to go well as well. There, there was um, some already some signs of Reese's kind of style and the way that they want to play, pressing a little bit higher up the field and certainly seemed to suit um, Ellen White, who obviously got a hat-trick in, in that friendly. So I think it's, to be honest, I think it's nice to just sort of have it announced. Obviously, it'll be announced on Wednesday because it's, it's just been uh, ever since there was rumours about Phil Neville obviously leaving, just seems to have gone on a little bit, doesn't it? And it's nice to finally now be like, right, 
Hegarys manager now we can actually look to the tournament and be really excited about this yeah that's the thing we haven't actually been able to talk about how the squad's going to look 23 players really difficult to do that are we going to get any of the other home nations involved or is it purely going to end up being being England players we just haven't actually been able to talk about the football as you say and that's what we all want to talk about how are they going to approach this when they've not really had any proper competitive matches in a year yeah, of course. And I think it's it's a particular, I know we've spoken about it before, but it's a particular difficult Team GB that it's not just England. Obviously, it's other players that, that will be incorporated into that team as well. So it's really important to, to get that balance right, to maximise all of the lead-up camps and, and hopefully warm-up games there will be. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. And as you say now, just exciting to actually focus on the football and focus on what hopefully, you know, Team GB have got a, a good chance of getting a medal. It certainly is. Well, listen, I thought you were going to be focusing on the football tonight because Bristol City play Reading. It's an 8.15 kickoff. We were going to speak to Farrah Williams uh, today. She's not going to be available because that game was moved. I thought that's why Molly was leaving us early, but it turns out you're actually going on an International Women's Day panel and ditching us for that instead. Tell us what it is, Mom. Um, it's with the Westmoreland FA, so we've got the Blackboard, Blackburn Rovers manager um, and also Rihanna Jarrett, actually, who plays for Brighton. Um, so, yeah, it should be really good, really exciting. Uh, it's a real celebration of International Women's Day and women that are being so imp- inspirational in, in our career. Wonderful stuff. Well, enjoy and we shall speak to you, no doubt, very soon. Cheers, Molly. Thank you. Molly Hudson there from The Times. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers. Next up, we're going to be hearing from World Cup winner and Manchester City midfielder Sam Mewis. TalkSport 2, official broadcast partner of the Premier League. Listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Rothers, and we're actually with you until 8 o'clock tonight. It's a two hour International Women's Day special celebrating the amazing things going on in women's football at the moment and the people who are the driving force behind it. If you do miss any of this show, you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app and subscribing to our podcast. You just need to search TalkSport and Women's Football Weekly. Now, we're going to go back to the Barclays FAWSL. We discussed a couple of results with uh, Arsenal's Jem Beattie earlier on. Uh, West Ham nil, Chelsea 2. And actually, I'm going to bring in Women's Football Weekly producer, reporter and awesome music selector Flo Lloyd-Hughes with us because she was at this game. How did it go, Flo? Yeah, I mean, I actually really changed my mind about West Ham, to be honest. I'd looked at their results this season, watched some of their games and highlights and had been quite worried. But I think I was actually quite impressed with how they played. Extremely physical, extremely fit and athletic. And I think they're giving themselves a really good fighting chance. I think the real difference between them and Bristol City is they just don't have a consistent, reliable goal scorer. With Ebony Salmon, Bristol City know that nine times out of ten, she's going to finish an opportunity that comes her way and that's really what West Ham are missing but 
I think the atmosphere within the squad is good, and I think that is is what they can hold on to because it was all smiles yesterday. You know, obviously, they they were disappointed to lose, but in the warm up, there was laughter and smiles. They looked relaxed. It wasn't like a tense team that's fighting for relegation that you often see. Oh, that's interesting because it's so so tight down the bottom. Uh, Bristol City at the foot of the table with six points. West Ham just two points above them on eight, and Aston Villa two points above them on ten probably bring Birmingham Birmingham into that as well on 11 and Tottenham uh, quite, quite precarious uh, on 12 points it, it's very 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 tight let's hear from um, the West Ham boss uh, Ollie Harder shall we he believes all the hard work will eventually pay off you know we haven't we haven't been sitting on our hands it's been double sessions for three weeks you know I think we put in about 25 sessions between the end until now before the break um, and the girls have responded well to that and you know they've really pushed and at the end of the day it's a little bit uh, momentum you know the train hasn't left the station and it's always the hardest thing to get the wheels moving and for us once the wheels start moving a little bit and, and you know you get the goals and so on um, then I can I can see a bright future for us. Well, they're going to need that bright future to come pretty quickly if they want to survive in the WSL. But as Flo says, it looks like, you know, they potentially could have the edge over Bristol City. We'll certainly see some important games uh, coming up. Chelsea, though, Flo, um, still a point above uh, Manchester City. Yeah, two points. Two points. I think they are above um, Man City, but yeah, they just look so dominant. And I think it was interesting how few changes um, Emma Hayes made given... The result midweek really looked quite exhausting for all of them. She did make a couple of changes. Um, a debut for Zazira Musevic, who came in in January. She's only 24. She looked pretty confident the uh, yesterday. And they've got that return leg on Wednesday. So I think it's interesting how Emma Hayes didn't seem too worried about the fitness and the ability of her side. She put a very strong side against a relegation-threatened team. So it was interesting how confident she was. Yeah, very interesting. Two points, sorry, I can't count. 41 to 39. It's not difficult, is it? It's not as if I did get a GCSE in maths a very long time ago. Uh, right, Manchester City won Everton nil. They left it late, City, but eventually managed to break through. Uh, Kira Walsh scoring from a long-range effort in the 81st minute. Uh, so two points behind Chelsea, uh, City are. And by the way, I think I said to Sam Mewis in this interview, which you're about to hear, that it was one point. So again, I qu- clearly can't count in this one either so apologies for that but I did catch up with the uh, Manchester City and US Women's National Team star Sam Mewis uh, to talk about first and foremost her move to the WSL. Yeah I, it was a bit of a whirlwind I guess but kind of a like I feel like at the time like so little was going on that it was a, it was a move across it was just like a lot happening at once when I had been used to so little happening um, but it's been great. I mean, I've had such a great experience here so far and I have only good things to say about Man City and, and my time here. Um, I feel really fortunate that I got that opportunity to come and play in such a great league and for such a great club at a time where there wasn't a lot of soccer going on. Um, so I, yeah, it's been an, over, an overwhelmingly positive experience. And can you see uh, the, the difference that the WSL has now, you know, attracting international talent from, from all around the world? It's, it's such a huge league globally now. Definitely. Yeah. I think that that kind of investment and that kind of um, attention in the women's game. It's, it's so positive and it's something I'm so excited to be a part of. Um, and I just think that, um, the league is growing and, and women's soccer globally is growing. Um, I think you can see in, in a lot of leagues, including the NWSL in, in the U S that 
there's so much many positive things happening. So I'm just excited for the game as a whole. Yeah, you, you have clicked and gelled. And as you say, five goals for you now, one assist this season as well. We won't talk about um, the miss over Ever- <laughs> against Everton at the weekend. Um, but, you know, you've really slotted into this league quite seamlessly and made a real difference to a Manchester City side that already was was full of, of, of talented players. What's it What's it been like um, slotting in and, and what have your teammates been like? Um, yeah, it's been such a great learning experience for me. I think that um, I have so many areas I want to improve in and getting to train um, and play with some of the women that are on this team has been um, so eye-opening for me. I feel like I have a lot to learn from all of my teammates and from the staff as well. And um, it's been so great to uh, get to kind of learn the style of play here and and learn how that fits into the culture. And I've just been really um, trying to absorb as much information and as much knowledge as I can um, from everybody. I, it's really been just such a great experience for me overall. And I feel like um, I'm just trying to learn and grow from it as much as I can. Have you been able to to help Manchester City? Obviously, with your experience out in the USA, where the women's game is is so much further advanced than it is here, um, have you been able to give them advice? I know you're involved with their Same Goals campaign, which is designed to to help girls access football. Um, but are your experience how helpful are your experiences that you've had in the, in the states uh, translating over here? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that um, on the field, I think that like Rose and I maybe have brought some of our like American qualities and maybe that's um, like been interesting for some of the girls to see how we approach the game. But I think overall, I'm the one who's been learning the most. I feel like um, just the standard of, of tactical and technical ability here um, is something that I need to try to keep up with. It's, it's just really good. And um, even the young players have such an awareness of the game and, and are so technically savvy. Um, so I definitely am constantly being challenged in those areas. And I think off the field, um, it's a good question. I, I think I would like to have an impact um, just finding those opportunities to do so and to, to discuss these sorts of things with the players and um, the organization um, is something that would be a good opportunity and, and that I should try to do. Yeah, definitely, because I feel as if we can learn so much from you going ahead. And when you look at, at the impressive thing that that the USWNT have done in terms of equal pay and what that's done in terms of confidence um, for, for, for women in all sectors, not just within football, to actually stand up and say, no, 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 this is not right and we're not going to stand for it. And that momentum is is so important. And you the, the role models that you've become as a result of that are, are just as important. Do, do you feel the weight of that in any way? Or, or is that something that you can then impart onto your teammates over here and make sure that everybody feels empowered to do the same thing? Um, I definitely think that there is a responsibility to um, being in a position that I'm in where I do have the experience with um, pushing the game. I feel like that is something I should kind of constantly be being addressing wherever I am. Um, and I think that a lot of the girls here are very aware of that as well. And we've had some conversations. Um, Man City has been so wonderful. Um, I like, again, I have nothing but good things to say, but I do think that just even knowing the history of the game here and um, where there might be areas for improvement at, especially um some places around the league that, that I've traveled to, I think is an interesting conversation and one that I think we all should be having. Um, at the same time, 
of course, I think the WSL is moving in the right direction and I'm so proud to be playing here. Um, but like you said, I think that having those conversations is really important and can be very eye-opening um, if people haven't thought about it as much as um, maybe other countries or leagues have. Yeah, I think sometimes it's a case of people not necessarily not thinking about it, but just not have have been given a voice in in, in the in the past, perhaps. Um, and I wondered whether you can ever see uh, football in this country starting to pay equally in terms of competition prize money. It's something that that we've talked about before on, on Women's Football Weekly, and and it's something that that comes up. And unfortunately apart from on shows like this, only tends to come up on days like International Women's Day, whereas for us, International Women's Day is every day. Um, but can you see that actually happening in, in this country at some point? Well, I'm, I don't know enough about um, it here. Obviously, I have a lot more experience with how we do things in the US, but I think that um, something interesting I've been having conversations about lately is um, just organizations paying equally on principle and not just because they feel like publicly they need to, or because um, they got in trouble for not doing so. I feel like uh, paying equally is is a, a value. And I think that's something that people, like we often hear organizations pointing to other reasons um, why they pay the way they do. And this could be discrimination in any form. Um, and so I feel like equality becoming one of those forefront values is really key in this conversation. and. I don't, again, I don't know enough about it here to really comment, but it, that's something that we've talked about a lot in the US. Really fascinating chat with Manchester City and US Women's National Team star Sam Mewis um, about a wide-ranging uh, bunch of issues. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport. Uh, usually, we'd be saying goodbye to you at this time of night, but as it's International Women's Day, we're actually with you for another hour, you lucky things. So don't go anywhere, especially because joining us uh, in the next hour is Brighton boss Hope Powell and Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. You're listening to a special two-hour edition of the show. I'm Faker Ruthers. It is International Women's Day, a time, a, a time where we challenge inequality, call out bias, question stereotypes and address all forms of gender inequality as well as celebrating the achievements and all-round awesomeness of amazing women all around the world. Now, as I said to you earlier on, we do that all the time here on Women's Football Weekly, so this is just a normal day to us. However, we are taking it as an opportunity to have a two-hour special and talk to you about the amazing things going on in the women's game at the moment. And alongside me for the second part of the show, it's a very, very warm welcome to Brighton manager and former England head coach Hope Powell making her debut on Women's Football Weekly. How are you, Hope? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Listen, we're delighted to have you. We've been wanting to chat uh, for, for this long, for a long time. And obviously, especially good, we can talk to you after Brighton's third win in a row. Yeah, it's a lot easier when we win. So, yeah, happy to have the chat. Excellent stuff. Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk is with us as well. A stalwart now on Women's Football Weekly. How are you, Courtney? 
Good evening, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, very good, thank you. Listen, we've already had a packed first hour of the show and I'm really interested to get both of your insights into the stuff that we've got coming up, talking about grassroots, talking about fans and some amazing innovations that there are in the women's game. But we held off hope on talking about the final uh, WSL match of this week's uh, round, uh, Brighton 2, Tottenham 0, because we wanted to talk to you especially about it, your third consecutive victory as I said perhaps inspired by Anessa Kagman as well um, a fantastic brace from the Netherlands international she was so impressive in that match Hope yeah she, she's a great player great addition to our team and, and really thankful you know to have her as part of the group um, yeah a, a, an inspiring win absolutely de- delighted I think especially you know we played so badly a few weeks ago against Bristol which, which was a real low for everybody um, and just really worked hard to turn things around. And obviously beating Chelsea was was a massive achievement. Then we go on and, and do well against West Ham, win the game. And then yesterday, um, you know, to get the treble, nine points, three games, is everybody's just really in a good place. So so really feels good at the moment. That's a record, isn't it, for Brighton in the WSL, if I understand yeah, rightly? Well- well, two games in a row was a record. So so we broke last week's record with, with three. We're going to try and make it four, you know, in our next uh, uh, league game. But yes, it, it's a record as it stands at the moment. And it's interesting you mentioned um, that Bristol City game because it feels as if that has exactly spurred you on to, to, to win that, that treble of games. And, and important almost that you have wake-up calls like that perhaps in the course of a season. Um, you don't really want them. It, it's not something that you want to go through regularly, but that that was a real low point, I think, for, for everybody in terms of what we're trying to achieve as a club, what players are trying to achieve individually and collectively. Um, and it was just not who we want to be or, or what we're about. So it, it gave us... Um, you know, quite a severe jolt. There were some uncom- uncomfortable conversations that needed to be had. And the girls were, you know, absolutely magnificent, took it, took the responsibility, owned it. And then basically, I, you know, I just said, we're going to just start again. And the response has been tremendous, players and staff. And it's really kicked us on. Um, but obviously we want to maintain the good work that we've done going forward and not hit that low point again. It's not pleasant. And the league is so unforgiving and how quickly things can change. So it's really important that we stay focused for the remainder of the season. We want to continue striving forward and doing as well as we can. Yeah, well, you're certainly a, a joy to watch when when you're in this vein of form. And I, I was I was so pleased to see that you became the first woman to win the LMA's Performance of the Week award after that 2-1 win over Chelsea as well, ending that 33 un- unbeaten WSL record of theirs. Um, that, that was quite a big moment because this is the first time, isn't it, that um, WSL coaches have been included in this? Yeah, well, it it was very new to me. I thought it was something that they actually just introduced something new into the women's game performance of the week. So I was, oh, right, that's good. But then obviously when I understood that it was performance of the week, both men and women's football, I mean, that's a real accolade, not just for myself, but more importantly for the players and their response and all the staff. You know, everybody works so tirelessly. and, And when you 
you know, do the unexpected. You know, I don't think anybody would have expected us to, to beat Chelsea who are in such a rich vein of, of form, you know, that this, their squad is unbelievable. But I think on that day, we, we had to perform. Um, we, we, you know, it wasn't necessarily about winning. It was about performance. Um, and I think my last words to the girls on that day was just don't lose the game. <laughs> And, you know, we had a bit of luck. We rode our luck. We were very, very um, organised, disciplined, resolute defensively. We, we knew we wouldn't have much of, of the ball, you know, and we stood up and, you know, a bit of luck and we go on and win the game. So it was absolutely fantastic. But I must say the, the girls, you know, it was all down to the players and their response, you know, to the Bristol game. So, yes, I, I got the award, but really it was about everybody. Oh, that's that's the sign of a leader. That is taking all the all the uh, attention away from themselves and, and giving it to the players. It's really, really important. Um, now I want to talk to you both about what we're focusing on in this second part of, of the show because we're going to kick things off with grassroots women's football and coaching. Um, we're talking about the wider women's game in general, really, uh, what the pandemic ha- has done, but the growing fan bases and the positivity around it at the same point and some of the technology that's going to be driving change for players and managers in the future. But we'll start off with the, the grassroots game because we chatted to Jess Keating from Gold Diggers and Charlotte Jukes from Victoria Park Vixens, which are both London-based grassroots women's teams about how the pandemic has impacted them and what they're doing to kind of try and continue growing their teams. It was disappointing in that we really had just started building the momentum um, in Vixens, at least. We'd kind of been a team for about a year and a half. Um, We'd started doing well in games. And I think when the first lockdown was announced, it was a bit of a, okay, um, this is a bit of a shock and we're not sure where we go from here. Um, We had some team members who moved abroad, um, moved back to their families, and we actually lost parts of the team as a result of COVID. Um, I think we were, yeah, primarily worried about the loss of momentum and, you know, how people felt and if people felt as connected as they were. Um, And we we were quite worried about, you know, sort of teammates who perhaps were living on their own as well. There are people that haven't renewed their membership. For example, we've had some members that are suffering with long COVID. So they've kind of stepped back from football because they have to do that. There are pitches, they're limited, but they're booked out for silly amounts of time someone will have a pitch booking for two years for often a men's team um and it will often be this sort of revolving door situation where the groundsman's friends with the guy who runs the club who's friends with everyone else and it's just so difficult and it's so frustrating because we have like 40 members who want to have a space to play football Um, who deserve a space to play football because a lot of our team members actually just lost the opportunity to play football when they got to the age of 15, 16, and then it came to, well, are you going to be a professional footballer? No, okay, there's not a a space for you to play casually and there's not a space for you to actually be, if you want to be, mediocre at football. Goldingers lost a lot of income in the past year through the pandemic. We usually run a quarterly club night in East London called Murder on the Dance Floor. And that brought in the majority of our fundraising that meant that we could pay our coaches and we could keep the costs of football as low as possible for our members because like, we want football to be available regardless of people's 
financial situations. So we've had to be a bit more creative. Basically, what we wanted the shirt to represent and kind of teach people about is the history of women's football in England. So it marks um, 1921, which is when the FA banned women's football for 50 years. So the in effect, the women's game is 50 years behind, you could argue the men's game at least. Um, and that century, I just think is really important to shine light on. When we had the Women's World Cup, there was this real big vacuum of brand interest, momentum, hype around the women's game, but that dropped off very, very quickly. And we, we noticed it. Um, you know, we sort of had brands who were really interested in collaborating, but it was only for that month. And we were thinking, well, actually, women's football isn't a fad. We're not going to be here for a month and then disappear. We're going to be here for as long as we can be here. And we want to work with people who are on that wavelength rather than seeing it as a tick box exercise. I do believe that brands across the board are now looking at women's football once again. You know, it's, it's a business opportunity. The growth of the game is absolutely exceptional, um, you know, in terms of sponsorship at the, the very top levels that we have an opportunity at the grassroots level to really kind of match that um, interest. And once again, it's, it's such a big audience. You have girls, you know, girls leagues all over the country. You have women's leagues that are now popping up everywhere. If you're a brand, you want to be part of those and you don't want to be the brand that's sort of left behind. Really interesting stuff there. Thank you to Jess Keating from Gold Diggers and Charlotte Jukes from Victoria Park Vixens for sharing your stories. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. Um, Hope Powell, Brighton manager, and Courtney Sweetman Kirk from Sheffield United Women uh, with us tonight. Interesting there, um, Hope, that Jess was talking about the shirt that they've designed, a commemorative shirt highlighting 100 years since women's football was, was banned here. And you're actually on the front of that shirt as a pioneer in. The, in the women's game and it's so crucial that people know the history isn't it it's really important I think um, especially for those young girls that have an opportunity to become full-time athletes full-time foot um, footballers I think they need to understand the sacrifices that went before um, it, it, it is so different now to what it was 10 years ago let alone 50 years ago let alone 100 years ago so I think it's really important that we celebrate the history and you know every female player young and old is aware of what came before it's important to keep the game and those memories alive in my in my opinion yeah I, I think Courtney would probably echo that wouldn't you in, in terms of the younger girls coming up through the game do you make sure that they realize the challenges that you had to face yeah, certainly. Unfortunately, I'm one of the uh, older ones in the dressing room. I didn't room want to say game, that, so. but I alluded enough to it. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. So it, it's it's letting them know sort of, you know, where we've come from and, and you know, there's there's the days where you're paying to play and, and you're paying your subs and, and yeah, now, you know, fortunately and, and so fortunately my sort of generation has been on a journey where we've, we've got through that and we're getting paid to play, which is unbelievable so they need to know that and where it's come from to sort of you know understand how you know I say lucky they are in in a sense but also I think we're a generation of wanting to leave the game in a much better place than than what we found it and and the growth obviously over the last 10-15 years it has been exceptional and it's making sure that you know they want to take that forward as well it's not a case of just turning up and now it's a job that's professional and that's great and and then they leave it where it is it's now up to that that generation coming through to push it on to the next level again.
Yeah, absolutely. It, it's so Im- so important because the, the last thing on earth you want to do is lose any kind of momentum when players start to become a little bit um, complacent with, with what they've got and, and not quite realise the sacrifices that had to be made to get them there in the first place. Uh, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. Alongside me, Brighton boss Hope Powell and Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. We're going to continue this conversation about grassroots football as well as focusing on the most important uh, part of the women's game. That's you, the fans. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. Well, this is a new track, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, coming into Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Others. Alongside me this evening is Hope Powell and Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. Don't forget, if you miss any of our shows or you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app, so you can download it today and just go to our podcast section. Now, we were talking specifically um, about grassroots football just there, hearing some really interesting stories about some teams uh, in London and you know I, I want to talk uh, very briefly with both Courtney a, a, and Hope about how important the, the investment is in, in grassroots but particularly academies uh, Hope because we had your CEO Paul Barber on earlier on and obviously Brighton are doing incredible things at the moment which you know is it, it, keeping the game sustainable making sure it's accessible to as many young girls as possible and the actual academy could reopen during lockdown now it's met elite protocols how important is that investment sure I, I think we have to appreciate that um those players that play for england playing the wsl all those top flight footballer, footballers that you see globally all came from grassroots football they all started somewhere and it's really important that, that young girls have somewhere where they can go and play and develop and become those stars of the future um so the investment is is crucial and I feel very, very privileged at Brighton that the owner, the chief executive, all, all value uh, football in the community, number one, and more importantly, um, allowing and making sure that football is accessible to all boys and girls. And the investment at Brighton has, has been huge. The, the club um, with our academy and our RTCs now certainly returned this week, our RTCs. Um, and that is because all the protocols have been put in place. That's all been driven by the club to allow those young girls to return. So without the investment, that, that doesn't happen. Without accessibility, those stars you see today, they do not get the opportunity to develop and become, you know, the athletes, the footballers that everybody sees on the TV in the World Cup. So really, really important. An opportunity is a key word there because we've spoken about this a lot on Women's Football Weekly. And last week, TalkSport spoke to QPR Academy coach Manisha Taylor, who's one of the few South Asian women's coaches working within men's football. She was telling us about the pipeline for coaches and players uh, and says diversity and representation is the critical issue. Where's the representation uh, along that elite pathway for young girls? How many black girls do we have that are um, on the edge of playing in the Super League? How many, how many South Asian girls do we have playing in the Super League in terms of real representation of people of colour within the elite pathway, whether that's on the field or off the field? 
But I think where we've really moved on is there's greater opportunity for girls to play football, which is brilliant. That's exactly what what you were saying, Hope. The opportunity for young girls to play football is really important. We talked last week uh, a lot about, you know, the fact that within London in particular, a lot of, um, uh, there, there weren't any hubs for youngsters to train at and that was perhaps one of the reasons why there wasn't as much representation in in the England squads that we see now but that is changing with the FA isn't there I mean I know that you're involved in an elite coach placement program um, along with the PFA with the likes of Rachel Yankee Farrah Williams and Mary Phillip among others um, that, that you're looking after and bringing through and bringing through coaches is just as important as bringing through players yeah, it's, it's actually with 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 the FA that's um, uh, being driven. Um, yeah, I I think um, you know I spent many hours with Manisha, and I think everybody recognises that the opportunity for certainly young black girls who, who then become the next generation of, of black female coaches, the opportunities and accessibility isn't as easy as it once was. So I think what's happened over the last 10 years, while, while the game's being developed and, you know, we, we look at venues and we want venues that, that meet a certain criteria, you, you look at those, those centres, uh, the RTCs of the academies who are now aligned and attached to a club. So if you look at those, like the big London clubs, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Fulham, to, to access their facility, you're, you're talking about, going out of London, you know, if, if I look at Chelsea, you have to go all the way to Cobham. It's not easily accessible for mm. those inner city kids. So because of that, the consequence of that is you're going to get dropout. Parents can't afford to send their kids into leafy suburbia. Um, you know, haven't got the time, haven't got the transportation. So naturally, some of the inner city kids who aren't as wealthy perhaps will be excluded. So I think the FA are now working on something else to make the opportunities more accessible for those inner city kids. And hopefully that will attract more people of colour, more players of colour. Because definitely, you know, where, where I am at Brighton, you know, our RTC and our academy is at our main training training venue, which isn't easy for a lot of inner city kids we get some kids from London to access so it's as well as opportunity it's accessibility how easy is it for these kids and parents to get to these venues not easy no. and that's something that really has to be addressed otherwise you're going to see there will be no generation of black young girls coming through and representing their country and then going on to coach you know at the elite level and this is the other important thing is, is is visibility because you need to have role models as well. And if we're not doing this now, who are these girls going to be able to aspire to who, who look like them? You know, Courtney's uh, absolutely trailing a blaze or blazing a trail even, should I say, on uh, in the broadcasting space. You know, I've been working in broadcasting for 20 years and didn't really have any role models within broadcasting to, to, to look to. Now, there are so many more women that young girls who want to come into broadcasting, want to come into coaching, want to go into to playing football have. And it's vital that we keep that visibility, Courtney, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. And and I think it's it's something that a saying that I've heard, you know, quite a few people say, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And, you know, there will always be sort of, you know, trailblazers and, and people that never take no for an answer. But we've got to look at those majorities and, and, and you know, have people out there that you can see on the television for me. Um, obviously, recently, I'm, I'm looking at Alex Scott. Luckily, I'm, you know, quite close to Sue Smith, played with her at, at Doncaster. So, as you say, I've, I've had I've had those role models. But I think the more role models we have in those positions, the better. And I think especially not just within, you know, necessarily coaching or playing, but within those those roles within clubs as well. You know, CEOs and, and with ev within every company, because when that becomes more normalised, then, you know, young girls will be looking up thinking, yes, um, I can do that job and, and I want to have a day, you know, where maybe uh, there's a female co-coms and we're not commenting going, oh, she's good because and she's great. And I don't normally like female co-coms or, or comments like that, that <clears throat> the backhanded compliments that you get for me, it, it, if the, the better and, and more normalised things can get in terms of, yeah, it's a women's co-coms and that's it and that's normal and we can get that across across you know as many broadcasters as possible whether that's bbc sky bt talk sport i think that's what we all need to aim for and and the more that people can see it the more that they'll feel encouraged to know that there's a pathway there and i think it's with women's football it's quite interesting with the pathway at the moment and we've almost had to go not backwards in a sense not that we're going backwards but we've had to focus on the elite level so much and, and rightly so and put that up on a pedal pedestal and get the sponsorship to be able to then that that trickle down whereas normally you'd probably do it the other way around you build the foundations you build that up um, and then you get to that elite level so I think it, it's it's the way it's had to have been done currently uh, but it's it's also quite difficult and, and as Hope says unfortunately with with the the advances in terms of the protocols and, and the standards of training um, and training grounds that we've had to get to get to that point. Unfortunately, now there's a there's a dropout of young girls, you know, in inner city that maybe can't access that. And I, you know, remember for me, I, I grew up in in the city in Leicester, and you know, at one point my mum didn't drive, and I was luckily that I had a local club to go to because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to get there. So um, I think that access is, is is so important. It certainly is. And, you know, it's important as well for the fans to be able to access. And we will talk about the fans uh, later on in the programme. Coming up, though, on Women's Football Weekly, we're going to be discussing tech and some amazing innovations coming in to the women's game. You've been listening to the thoughts of Bryson Boss and former England head coach Hope Powell and Courtney Sweetman-Kirk of Sheffield United Women. Uh, we'll be back with you shortly. TalkSport 2, official broadcast partner of the English Football League. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others and keeping you company with me is Bryson manager and former England head coach Hope Powell and Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. Now then, we're going to talk about technology. A big thing everywhere nowadays, obviously, but now becoming a big thing within women's football as well. And I'm delighted to speak to Laura Youngson, who's co-founder of Ida Sports, creators of the first women-specific football boots. Hello, Laura. How are you doing? Tell us a little bit more about how this came about. Was it um, female players asking for a specific design? 
Well, it actually started with me. Um, I always had to wear kids' boots when I played. And, um, and then I started asking around and pretty much everyone was wearing kids' and men's boots. Um, went and researched it, realised that women's and men's feet are different, and then looked around and saw that the bigger brands weren't really catering to the women's market. So I went and designed shoes, made them in my kitchen, first of all, and then, um, yeah, got into full production. Wonderful. So what, what did you actually have to take into account? So it's really kind of mind-blowing for me that there are these quite fundamental differences between men's and women's feet. Um, kind of some of the, the big ones that people might experience. So um, women in general tend to have narrower heels. Um, we tend to have a different length to width ratio. So where our little toes rub on the boots is different. Um, we tend to have higher arches and we also tend to pressure load differently. So what that means is because our hips are set slightly further apart, where we bend and how we move really has an impact on um, what footwear we should be wearing. Wow, that's fascinating. Courtney, have, have you ever thought about having a, a female-specific boot? Have you ever had any problems with your boots that you thought you'd like to get resolved? Um, well, I have quite narrow feet, so I've always gone with Adidas because I found that um, the most comfortable for me. And I have struggled with other brands that I've tried because they've just you know, been too big. I'm sort of size five, six, so fairly small feet. But I find that really interesting in terms of, of, of the pressure points and obviously there's a lot been done in terms of hip placement and ACL. So it'd be very interesting to see in terms of how um, the boots maybe might minimise injury risk as well. Yeah, it's a really, it's a fascinating question one that we've started looking into because I think there's so little um, research and data on this topic. You kind of get to a certain point and then there's there's just nothing. There's no there's no data about women in this space. So we've been working with a lot of the universities in the UK and overseas in Australia um, to really kind of start looking into this question and if it um, the, looking at the connection really between surface and boot um, and it, are there things that can be done or taken into account um, to reduce the risks associated with injury? Hope, can, can you see that that would be something that you might want to, to bring in at, at Brighton if you could see that there was a genuine, you know, if, if, if there was some proper research done and you could see that it would make a genuine difference in terms of injuries? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's all about choice, isn't it? Um, yeah. To be given the opportunity to choose a, a, a boot that, that works for you, that could prevent injury and not have to wear a so-called male boot that doesn't fit the you know the size of the foot the pressure points etc that's that's been discussed and more importantly if it can prevent those very common injuries in women's football's ACLs um, if that can be negated then then that would be brilliant I think fantastic why not excellent stuff so j just let us know how uh, you know are you finding that there's a market for them Laura yeah, totally. So we uh, launched our sports brand just before the entire world shut down. With oh, Karen great Virus. timing. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, but we've actually done really well. Um, we've almost sold out our first run. We've, we've launched primarily in Australia and then we've been exporting into the US as well. Amazing. Just, just starting in the UK, but we're now working on other products and the next version of the shoe and taking what we've learnt, um, putting that into a futsal shoe, so for indoors as well. Um, I'm really starting to just, yeah, ask the questions. And as Hope said, it's for us, it's about choice. And we know that for some players, 
Um, they don't have the choice in the market. I'd say, Courtney, your feats are normal to me. Uh, so this is one misconception as well that we encounter a lot of women who are like, oh, I've got really narrow feet or really this feet or that feet. And actually, we think actually you've got very normal feet. Um, and it's just that the boots haven't been made for you in the past. Wonderful. Nobody panic. Everyone's got normal feet, OK? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Much appreciated. Laura Youngston, uh, co-founder of Ida Sports, creators of the first women's specific football boots. We look forward to seeing them hit our shores very soon, I'm sure. Listen, we're also going to talk, um, continuing our chat about tech, to Bart Hubie from Business Consultants LCP. Uh, they're the development partner for Transfer Lab, which is an online football scouting tool. How are you doing, Bart? Hi, very well, thank you, Faye. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on. Listen, when we've been discussing this before, I I just want to get our listeners to understand a little bit more what data analytics are and what Transfer Lab is specifically and what made you want to launch a women's version. Great. Okay. Well, data analytics, I think it's it's become a big thing in men's football in recent years. Lots of clubs are now using it as part of their recruitment process, some, some more successfully than others. Um, I saw the Moneyball thing, and what we've developed with Transfer Lab, we've, we've been working with a leading football an- analytics uh, consultancy, Analytics FC, and we've developed this platform um, It's that football clubs can subscribe to to get information on player performance. It's now used uh, in the men's game by clients in 11 countries with five Premier League teams. And um, But we haven't really until now had the data in order to apply it to, to the women's game, which we've been wanting to do for some time. But... Um, our data providers are a firm called Scout, who, who do football videos, but they also provide us with event data. And we've now got enough data that we can launch um, the new platform for the women's game in two weeks' time. That's amazing. I mean, data collection has always been very problematic. Just finding stuff on women's football just even a couple of years ago was nigh on impossible. Um, whereas now it does seem as if there's a lot more data out there. I just want to bring Hope Powell into this because I'm wondering whether or not this is something that, that you'd be interested in in terms of, of scouting, Hope. Yeah, well, we use the platform Y Scout. Um to access data and, and player information. I, I, I think that area... Certainly with recruitment is growing. The, the, the demands for knowing players, whether they're home or abroad, and knowing as much detail about the player is, is growing. So any information, certainly, you know, when we're recruiting, the more information we can get on a player, the, the better. Um, and I know that it's an area that's really growing. You know, it's there in the men's game and it, it's definitely growing in the women's game. So I think anything that helps make an informed choice about players is a benefit and something that um, obviously we use data, as I said, we use Scout. We look at anything that we think could add value in that area. Mm, I'm sure Courtney would like to know, Bart, whether or not it's something that helps players as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's primarily used by clubs to help in their recruitment, but also I think from a player's perspective, it can help in a couple of couple of ways. I think, first of all, it can support players and their agents. So one, on the one hand, you might be looking at clubs, looking at players, but players also looking to sort of move up the the scale of football clubs can want to present themselves to to clubs they might want to move to at a higher level in a positive way and and transfer lab can certainly help with that um and also it can help looking at their strengths and weaknesses because um the data it can mislead but it never lies so um it can help players to look to where to focus their development and training just finally, Bart, how do we know that this works? What, what have you done so far to kind of prove that, that your data is is uh, valuable and correct? 
That, that's a very good question, Kay. And I had a little bit of trepidation when we, we put this piece. We've got relatively little data historically compared to the men's version, but we did a we do something called a, a best eleven. So we look at um, we can look at who are the highest rated players in in the in the Super League. And we've done that just now. We've put that out on on LinkedIn, and um, we're really pleased that the players coming out from the analytics are definitely some of the very best players. And in fact, um, I think the two of the players you've had on the show today, uh, Jen Beatty and Sam Mewis, come out in that best 11. So we think that proves that the analytics really do work. Wonderful stuff. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Bart. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Great to be on the show. That's Bart Hubie there from Business Consultants LCP, the development partner for Transfer Lab, which is an online football scouting tool. In two weeks' time, they're going to be releasing a women's version. Uh, just to quickly wrap this up, um, some, some really interesting innovations uh, going on within the women's game at the moment, Hope. And, and again, that's talking about opportunity again and you know the, the fact that people are normalising women's football and, and starting to bring these fantastic innovations out. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, certainly when I played, it, it, it's a night and day. And these innovations that are specifically lending themselves to the, the women's game is really, really impressive. It, it's it's really shifted. But I think you've got to complement um, the game, the product itself. Mm. It's now desirable. Um, everybody want more people want to watch it. You know, it's it commentators are being normalized Karen Carney doing really well um Alex Scott it's becoming normal and more importantly I think I think the enjoyment factor you know more people are watching women's football because actually the level of skill and the product is desirable and with that you get the the commercial and the marketing buy-in and the interest so long may this continue. Yeah, certainly. And as you say, the commercial and the branding it, it is a vital part of that as well. And that is starting to come on board. It's something we talk about regularly here on Women's Football Weekly. Uh, right, this is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers. You've just been listening to the thoughts of Brighton boss Hope Powell. Courtney Sweetman-Kirk of Sheffield United is with us as well. Next up, I promised you fans, we will be bringing you fans. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the home for women's football. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Others, alongside Bryson manager Hope Powell and Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. Now then, last week, it was very remiss of me, I always give you the championship scores. And last week I was talking uh, so much to Angarad James and to Erin Cuthbert that we completely ran out of time, so apologies for that. The championship scores are as follows. Crystal Palace lost 1-0 to Liverpool. London Bees beaten 7 7-0 by Leicester City. Charlton drew one all with Lewis. Blackburn with, um, lost 2-0 to Durham. And Coventry were 1-0 winners over London City Lionesses with an amazing goal from Hayley Crackle. That leaves the table as such. Uh, so Leicester still top of the table on goal difference with a game in hand over Durham who are level on points with them on 38. So it looks at the moment. Sorry, uh, I know you didn't play yesterday, uh, Courtney. Sheffield United, 10 points behind the top two there but it's so tight this season isn't it 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it's credit to the league and it, it's made it really exciting. It's just su- such a shame that we've not been able to obviously have the fans in the stadium to share that. But I think, you know, where we're at and being realistic with, with our budget compared to, you know, the likes of Leicester, Liverpool and, and Durham that are, are full time and, and a budget, we, you know, I think there's, there's times where we've been disappointed and felt like we could have done better. But, you know, if we're being very realistic and honest with ourselves, it's, you know, it's probably not been a bad season, but we're always looking to improve and, and looking to finish as, as high up in the table as possible. We've still got to play Durham and, and Liverpool, which is obviously a massive game. So, you know, we'll, we'll take what we need from that. It's, we want to have, have done better, but I think going into to next season, obviously Neil um, Redfern came came into the role quite late. I missed all of, of pre-season and, and the first few games. of Obviously, the pandemic changed the the dynamic dynamic as it did with with such a lot. So I think with a, a full pre-season behind us, hopefully next season it will be a different one. Mm, I hope, pal. Do you think there's an argument with the strength of the championship in particular this season that we could perhaps see a, 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 an extended WSL in the future? I think that will come. I think with um, more and more clubs investing, um, so long as it's sustainable, I think that will come definitely in the future. Yes, um, sustainability is yeah. huge, isn't it? Absolutely. So, yeah, I yeah, as I said, I think that will happen going forward. Right, now continuing our look at the wider women's game, we're going to hear from some fans of Norwich, Leicester and Southampton about how they believe their emerging and rising women's sides can now grow their support. At Norwich, um, the women's team has been around for quite a long time now, but it's only over the last couple of years that I'd say the club and, and the sort of men's fans have become more aware of the women's team. They now have their own um, dedicated home, which is up at the Norwich Community Sport Foundation, where they're playing their games on a regular basis when they can play. But the thing that's interesting about the Norwich men's and women's team, bit probably like Southampton, is the men's team are quite high up and the women's team are, are not quite high up just yet. Um, but that's been a real focus over the last couple of years to, to bring a new coach in, to have more interactions between the men's coaching and the women's coaching. But then I think from a from a fan's perspective, what we're trying to change is actually just building up that awareness of the women's team out with the, the fan base of the men's team. I think there's very, very little awareness. Like when I started working with the women's team over the last couple of months, even my kids said, what do you mean Norwich have a women's team? And, you know, they've been Norwich fans for years. So I think there's a huge amount of people out there who who don't know. I think right now the club is doing a pretty good job because you see them tweeting things about the men's side and or sorry the women's side and advertising for the women's side as well on their men's account. But you can tell that there's really a restriction on how we can see the games. Like our past two matches. So prior to our league game last weekend, we had not been able to watch them in the league for seven weeks because of postponements. And then it was not live streamed. And you kind of look at these other matches, like there were championship games today that were streamed, but ours was not, and we're top of the table. So it's kind of shocking. You see so many people now engaging with our women's side, saying like, I really want to watch them because I'm in so many group chats with so many people who just started following the women's team this season. So I was sitting there hounding them, like, you guys got to follow him. Like, (laughs) look at how well we're doing. And so, so many people are wanting to watch these games, but it's just so hard. And and like, obviously, it's hard for me to make it over there. But for the fans that are over there, I really hope things clear up soon so that we can get fans in the stands because I know how badly people are wanting to go support them now, especially with how great they're doing. It's really encouraging as a fan. Um, I think from sort of like the page I run, like the fan base page, um, we've seen a lot of 
a lot of encouragement for younger people. In the FA Cup, Southampton had a record-breaking run. They'd never got so far in the competition. Um, they met Coventry um, and they played at St Mary's. So that was the first time the women's um, side had actually played at this, this stadium for Southampton. Um, and that was a record-breaking crowd. I think um, that was really great to see because, you know, there are, there are people that want to watch the game um, and it's just, it's very encouraging. The, the pause hasn't, hasn't obviously been ideal, but it allows us to reset and maybe showcase the team more through to the men's fan base and build up that interest. Like we've all been locked in, not seeing sport, live sport in person for months so I think that there's a huge appetite for people who want to go out and watch something. So in a way, it's kind of a huge opportunity to start using social media and some of the things Stephen and Hannah mentioned to like build up interest and get excitement going and saying, look, the women's team are here and playing. Come and come and watch this game. Really interesting insight from Sarah Greaves from the Norwich Supporters Trust, Leicester City fan Hannah Wellen and Southampton content creator Stephen White. Thank you all of you uh, for chatting to us and growing fan bases. Hope Powell is such an important thing, isn't it? And how we try and get that back um, after uh, this pandemic not losing the World Cup momentum. But of course, we have got home Euros next year that might help that. Yeah, that would definitely help. I, th- I think I'm, I'm, I'm really optimistic, though. I, I think um, the fans that were fans before will definitely come back um, because it's been a long time coming. So I think those fans are still there. Um, I, I have no doubt about that. And I think with, with the home Euros, when there is a major tournament, um, the fans always come out. International football is a real seller. I think you, you mentioned it previously that it's generally after those major tournaments that the fan base starts to dwindle that's Mm. happened over many many years and that's the bit perhaps where you know some work needs to be done in getting those fans that go and watch international football to come out and watch women's football week in week out that that is the challenge I think for the women's game I think we've started to see that a little bit, you know, particularly with with, with young girls being taken by their families. Yeah, more so. But if you look at the numbers that go to to international matches, yeah. into the 15,000, and then a domestic game, you might get anything between 500 and maybe 3,000. But, and you know, when it's opened up to, to the Mouse Stadiums, we've had the 24,000, we've... But it's it's we're talking about getting this week in week out. Mm. That is the challenge for the women's game at the moment. Yeah, you know when it goes to big stadium, you know, Man City, the Amex. You know you get that twenty thousand. It goes back into their their home stadium, which is the smaller stadium. You never fill it. So I think that's the challenge for the women's game. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and staging matches at, at Men's Stadium, we've seen that that works. It's just, it's not possible to do that week in, week out, obviously for, for cost reasons. But, you know, hopefully that can start to build momentum again for, for sure. And then those fans start to stay uh, when uh, when women's teams go back to, to where they usually play. Listen, we've run out of time, which is really unfortunate. Just a tiny bit of housekeeping, by the way, because I don't want anyone to think I've missed anything. But uh, we've got midweek Champions League round of 16 second legs. Manchester City three goals up on Fiorentina and Chelsea two up on Atletico Madrid as well. And Northern Ireland, by the way, drew Ukraine for that Euro 20. 
2022 uh, playoff. Games are going to take place between the 7th and 13th of April. Hope Powell, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I hope you've enjoyed your, your debut on Women's Football Weekly and you'll come back again. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it and love to come back. Thank you for the invite. Wonderful, wonderful. We will speak to you soon. Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm off to uh, watch the Bristol game now, Bristol-Reading. Yes, 8.15 kickoff indeed. Looking forward to that one. Thank you so much. Next week, um, we'll have another packed Women's Football Weekly show for you. But thank you today to our amazing lineup of guests. Jen Beattie, Molly Hudson, Sam Mewis, Paul Barber, Laura Youngson, Bart Huby, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk and, of course, Hope Powell. And all of you, as ever, for listening. We couldn't be with we couldn't be here without you. Don't forget, if you do miss any of the show or you want to listen back to any of our specials, you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the TalkSport app.